Hey. Hi. So um, I'm Andrew, and this, and I'm chatting with Sierra, who's an empath from the empath community. And Sierra, why don't you start and tell me just a little bit about who you are, your background, a bit of context, where you're in the world, that kind of thing. Hello. Yes, happy to. Um, so yes, my name's Sierra. I live in uh, Oregon in the United States and I'm 46. I grew up uh, mostly in British Columbia and also in Colorado, but I traveled quite a bit in my youth. Um, finally settled down in Oregon about 20 years ago. I grew up, um, I think my growing up uh, situation had uh, a lot to do with my empath status. Um, I think becoming an empath was not necessarily something that's just something you're born with. It's something also that you acquire from your surroundings. Um, nature and nurture kind of balance each other out in my mind. That's how I see it. Um, there's no way to prove one way or another. And that's what empaths are all about is not being able to necessarily prove anything, but just trusting your instincts and your gut. So I wavered off my background a little bit there and got all philosophical, but that's what I tend to do. And that's just me. Um, that's, that's great. I'm kind of curious, actually, straight off the bat about the, uh, the nature nurture topic you brought up. Uh, as in what, this, is, this has definitely come up a lot in group discussions. Mm -hmm. I'm wondering what your thoughts are on being born with it and... It sounds like it gets the nurture part is supportive of it, but that there's still an element of being born with it. Yeah. And that's again, just a theory. Um, I'm uh, to answer this. I just want to pre preempt it with, I'm actually a very scientific person. Um, I'm a medical person. I'm a nurse. And so I, I, I really have a heavy leaning towards science and genetics, but, it's interesting because it's like the empath part of me conflicts with that, but it's such a strong part of me that I can't deny it and just go with science. So to answer mm -hmm. this question, I just want to say, um, scientifically, um, I think there, there are genetic predispositions to certain behaviors, uh, that are driven by emotions. And, you know, I don't understand all of the neurotransmitters in the brain and how they work. I don't understand DNA, you know, to the point of really being able to talk about it with authority. Um, I can't talk about the nervous system with more than just a little bit of, of uh, knowledge. But I do know that, you know, neuropathways exist <clears throat> and they are sculpted. They're, they're plastic. So there's a, there's a theory called neuroplasticity um, <clears throat> that a lot of people um, have known about. If you don't know about it, I suggest reading about it. It's very interesting. <clears throat> it's why therapy works. It's why cognitive behavioral therapy works, et cetera, for people to change their behaviors. But it's also um, your emotions, um, because I feel empaths are very emotional people. Your emo emotions are driven by your brain. And your brain is driven by neurotransmitters and neuroplast, you know, um, neuropathways. And so 
that's that's how I kind of see like being born with a certain um, brain structure and nervous system structure, and then also your environment kind of uh, in how I see it as an empath is that when you're born, you have a certain structure and then your environment triggers or doesn't trigger certain parts of that structure to light up. Mm-hmm. And so, for example, for me, um, growing up, I, I, I was, uh, I took care of an alcoholic mother. So she was an alcoholic. She eventually died from it. I took care of her as a child all the way growing up. So I practiced that behavior. I practiced the caretaking behavior <clears throat> over and over as a child while I was the most susceptible to developing very strong neural pathways. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, that sculpted a lot of how I, how I am. Um, I think my empath part is also mixed in there. Um, so I think the nature nurture really sculpted together who I am as an empath today. Cause I think different empaths have different, um, qualities that are stronger for me. It's a caretaking self-sacrifice quality for some, it's an exhaustion of even talking to one person for very long quality, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so when you say that, the empath part of you is an empath party that's really strong. So while having a sciencey part, it's an empath party that's really strong. What what is what is that empath part? How would you how could you elaborate on that? The empath part um, <clears throat> is the part that I describe it as the part that makes the world feel both uh, beautiful and exhausting. Hmm. It's it's the part of me that that you know feels every day the intense. Uh, intense gratitude for my the beauty of my surroundings and my life and the beauty of being alive and just breathing breath a breath but then simultaneously the exhaustion and kind of pain and suffering that comes along with that so i feel like i'm constantly feeling those two feelings kind of in in um competing intensities uh simultaneously so that's intense yeah, how, what what would you how would, I'm, I'm functional in the world but you know and so obviously i don't like just live in that state all the time hmm. <laughs> but i do i am able to be distracted you know <laughs> what is i know i mean empath is relatively defined but there is i think a, a certain personal interpretation of it so what what does being an empath mean to you well how would you describe it to someone i i have described it to people who don't know what it is at all and i'm i'm thinking i described it um as being very sensitive person um for one uh that's a good way to describe it to someone who's not familiar at all with it um being a very sensitive person being introverted um and being uh yeah i think those are the two terms i would i would describe it to someone who didn't know i think those are the best descriptors introverted and sensitive um okay I and, hope and, question. and yeah and well and to dig a little bit deeper into that when you say sensitive 
um, in what way? So sensitive in the way that, um, you know, so going to the word empathy, <clears throat> which is what, you know, empath is derived from. So sensitive in the way in that you like a sponge or some sort of sea creature. It always feels like you're like, you are, you locate your physical body into the presence of another person or being, but usually a person or people. And you suddenly can't help but physically and emotionally and mentally absorb the energy from those people as if it were your own. Mm. Um, like you can't stop from doing that. Um, there's times, you know, there's always a spectrum to everything. Nothing is black and white. So sometimes it's easier to repel it. And other times it's impossible to repel any of the energy. Um, and you have to like physically remove yourself from a situation in order to like not absorb an energy. Um, but it does have to do with physical space. So I think, um, you know, that's, uh, that's an inherent quality is the physical proximity is um, a part of it for me. Um, okay. So you're saying like when you're, uh, when you're in physical proximity to another person, mm -hmm. then you are kind of like a, uh, <laughs> that sea sponge that sort of takes on the inner world of that person. Yes. Yes. Do you have a, it's, I always find it helpful to talk about examples. If, has that happened recently? Um, let's see. So, um, whew, sea sponge. Yeah. Um, I, it happens all the time with my patients. Um, and I have a good system of, uh, you know, not letting that interfere with work. So I've developed a lot of good tools for that. But outside of work, um, oh, geez, let me think. Well, I mean, yeah. the, the, the work stuff sounds super interesting, actually. Mm -hmm. um, actually, yeah, work stuff is interesting. But I, I do have an example just from last night, suddenly. All right. Um, <clears throat> I went uh, over to a friend's house. She was very sick. And I went um, to get her some fluids and make her some soup. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, She'd been sick for a number of days. She was dehydrated with the flu. And I went over there and she, um, you know, I made, it was great to see her for um, a little bit. But then this new boyfriend of hers kind of like stormed into the house. And um, stormed, I say, because I could feel his energy before he even entered the door. It was like um, a rush, a, a wave of um, anxiety. <laughs> came through the house and then suddenly he came through the door so I could almost feel his energy before he came in <clears throat> when he came in he was uh you know um very spastic and um loud and uh kind of like attention deficit type of behavior mm -hmm. hyperactive um I, I don't know him very well um but I was just like immediately feeling his energy and how disruptive it was to her healing. That was my opinion. Now it's her, you know, her prerogative, but I felt kind of um, his energy as being very disruptive. And I immediately felt like I needed to get out of there because I couldn't stand it. Mm -hmm. And so 
I felt very uncomfortable and, um, you know, I finished up the soup and left quickly, but that's just an example. Um, his energy, like I could feel it before he came in the door and then it was like really repelled me out the door and I had to shake it off for a bit. <clears throat> hmm, interesting energy. So it, the, the, the anxiety that you were feeling, do you feel like that was his anxiety or the anxiety of his imminent arrival that you were feeling think, in yourself? Yeah, that's a good question because, you know, but I'm going to answer it in the way that I really truly believe most everything can be answered, which is it's both. And it was both my anxiety of interacting with him and, um, you know, being in that situation or feeling that, you know, it's, that's a human instinct an animal instinct. And it was also his anxiety I was feeling. I really feel like it was a, a good combination of both of those. Um, maybe some people would have a different interpretation, but um, I do feel like describing that is, is going to be a good mix of both anxieties. Because I don't right. feel like we can just absorb without reacting, you know, we can't just absorb someone else's energy without our own playing into it somehow. Yeah, that sounds fair. It's, it's not so black and white. No, it's not. And it's hard because when things are black and white, that's much, that's a much easier way to understand the world. But from what I'm seeing and being alive, I, I don't think anything is black and white. And it's a very disconcerting idea to have an idea that things are gray. But I, I'm truly a believer of it. <laughs> Are you able, uh, something that's come up quite a lot in conversations is um, differentiating between what is your stuff that you're feeling versus someone else's things that you're picking up on. Topic. I haven't really explored that with myself, um, but that's definitely just inspired me to write it down as something I should explore. Um, in those situations, yeah. Right. Okay, well, going back to um, your work, mm -hmm. uh, something that really stood out uh, is that you've been able to maintain some sort of professionalism in interacting with um, your patients, right? Mm -hmm. And you said you've developed sort of some, I think you said some sort of tools in order to be able to do that. Mm-hmm. I'm really interested in, in that, in the tool aspect, in the how to look after yourself kind of mm, way okay. of it. Great question. Um, so let's see. So yes, um, to be a nurse, you know, I, I have to have a lot of really strong boundaries. And I think boundaries are a difficult thing for empaths to interact with. It has been for me um, a difficult thing. Uh, I often don't have boundaries at all. You know, or I, I grew up not having boundaries of how much I would give um, because there was always a need and there was never anyone saying you don't need to give anymore, you know. So I mm -hmm. just ended up giving, giving, giving. And so when I first started being a nurse, I've been a nurse for 10 years. When I was a new nurse, I gave myself over completely and actually got physically ill from it um, and had to take a couple of weeks off um, from just like, feeling just completely like I'd exhausted all of my resources, both emotionally and physically. Um, then 
I started learning about boundaries and um, how to do those. And it's, it's not an easy thing. And it's, it's not something you can just say, yeah, do put up a boundary. You know, you can't just like put up a boundary. It's really hard because there's so many feelings involved. And the main thing for me that was preventing me from putting up boundaries was guilt. And I think guilt and shame are two very big um, pieces of why it's difficult for empaths to put up boundaries. And I felt a lot of guilt because I felt if I didn't put up, if I put up a boundary, uh, I would be cutting off this person from my care. And I think that stemmed back to thinking about my mother. If I didn't take care of my mother, she was going to die. You know, mm. if I didn't take care of the household, the whole thing would fall apart. And so that's where that developed from. So I would go, you know, be with my patients and feel everything they're feeling and take it on and not have boundaries. Of course, I got sick. So I did some um, cognitive behavioral therapy work, and that was really helpful. Um, I honestly have more intuitively developed tools than like solidly. I don't have a list anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, but sometimes I do. I mean, I do breath work, I think would be the, the main tool I use taking a breath before entering the room of the patient is something and, and being present in that breath and understanding, okay, make sure you keep your boundaries, you know, keep your boundaries. Um, especially if there's a patient that you know already and you know, it's going to be a difficult interaction. So mm-hmm. that breath has been really helpful because it, all it does um, and all it's done for me, and it's very simple, Um, but very powerful is it just puts me in that present moment just for a minute so I can remember to put up my boundaries because really not having boundaries and um, developing tools is all a matter of habit. And I think it goes back to that neuroplasticity of the brain where you just have to practice something and then you start having it as a kind of a muscle memory, a brain memory, a uh, neuropathway. So um, I think the breath is important. I think the other thing I started doing um, that was really helpful for me, uh, I took on a lot of the stress from my job um, from dealing with patients. I took it on all physically because I had to um, interact with them and I had to always make sure they felt safe. So I had to take all of their energy and hide it from them. Um, That's what Mm -hmm. I was doing. And so what I was doing was having it, it built up in my neck and shoulders as a lot really heavy tension. I got tension headaches. Uh, stomach problems, um, you know, digestive problems, uh, you know, fatigue, that kind of thing, Um, pain, you know, just random pain around my body. And so I started riding my bike to work and then riding it back. And that physical exercise is, has been an amazing saving grace. And physical exercise is difficult for a lot of people to work into their lives. Luckily, I, um, I live, you know, a distance from my work that enables me to ride my bike there and back. And I don't mind riding in the, in the winter. So it's, it's been amazing. And again, I think it goes back to the breath because when I'm riding home, after I've taken care of patients all day, I breathe them out. That's my tool. I breathe them out while I'm riding. And uh, by the time I get home, I don't feel like I have them inside of me anymore. And it's been an incredible um change in how I feel. I've been feeling much more resilient. Hmm. Is, is that breath, are you, are you consciously breathing them out? Or is it more just the act of exercise and being present to your breath? Um, I actively breathe them out Okay. Um, when I'm riding my bike. When I do the 
breath before entering their room. Um, that's more of just an exercise um, being in the present moment. But when I'm riding my bike, I actually breathe them out like I'm breathing out fire or something, you know, like I, I visualize them as I'm breathing them out. So I think it's a form of maybe meditation where you visualize something and you visualize it leaving, but I'm breathing them out and it seems to expel them very effectively. So I'm not numbing them out, you know, I'm breathing them out. So that, that is a, is a huge, I feel so much better. My body doesn't hurt at all. Yeah. That's significantly different to do active clearing. Of yeah. Your system. Yeah. Right. Right. Uh, so I have a question going back to, um, so before you enter a patient's room, you said you take a breath to become present, to be in a state where you can remind yourself about boundaries. Mm -hmm. I'm wondering a bit more about boundaries, like what, what, what they mean to you. Like, how do you know? What's your, how do you know when someone's starting to impinge on a boundary and what do you do with that? Like in terms of pushback or something like that? Mm. Um, that's a great question. And that's something I'm still, um, I don't have like a, a solid, like one trick answer for that. Um, it mm. often depends on how I'm doing. I'm not in the same state every day. Some days I have, less difficulty putting up boundaries other days I have more difficulty putting up boundaries but um, I I have a tendency to appease people um, and if they're pushing on a boundary um, and I'm continuing to appease them maybe that's not a good example but I think that when people start pushing my boundaries or trying to make me, um, they're trying to manipulate, I think manipulate, manipulate me, I think mm -hmm. is, is uh, something that all humans do. And, and when people are sick in the hospital, they feel very vulnerable and powerless. And so a lot of people, either whether they're normally manipulative or not become manipulative when they're in a position of, um, you know, feeling vulnerable and unsafe and scared. Uh, so, when a patient is kind of pushing my boundaries and or manipulating me and, and unintentionally most all of the time, I appease them to the point of um, keeping them pretty, you know, I, I'm able to diffuse their energy pretty well just by practice and mediation and conflict resolution practice over time, um, de-escalate. But then what I do is I actually cut off my attempts to appease them further than that. So that was a very long-winded answer to what I think could be a shorter answer, which is I dial down my appeasement <laughs> mm. and um, distance myself. I don't go and, you know, actively check on them as often um, just because I want to see how they're doing. If I need to check on them, I'm checking on them for very specific reasons. And I make a, make a, an attempt to cluster all of that together. So I don't have to be in their presence as much. Um, again, it's difficult because as a nurse, sometimes you have to be just in the room all constantly. 
because you have to keep them safe and you have to check on what's happening with them physically. And so sometimes it's, it's really hard, but in that case, um, I think I just go into work mode and, um, I, I focus more on like the physical attributes of the person than the emotional and mental ones that are going on. So I'm able to switch my compartmentalize my ways of looking at them. That's a difficult one though. As I speak about this, I think I'm still working through a lot of things with how do I put up boundaries with people, you know? I don't mm -hmm. think I've like figured that out completely. I just know that I'm doing better with releasing all the stuff I've absorbed. Mm. Yeah. So, sort of sounds to me like there is an element of self-control in it in stifling the impulse to mm -hmm. uh, use the word appease. Mm -hmm. That's a good, good point. Uh, self-control holding. Um, it could be that, you know, I'm, I'm absorbing, uh, that energy and I'm controlling myself and then my bike rides are also helping release that um, held energy uh, because holding boundaries can be extremely painful. Um, I've done it with several members of my family and had to hold them and it's very painful to hold those boundaries over years uh, but you have to do it for self-preservation purposes in many cases um, in family structures, dysfunctional families but then also at work um, you know to make sure you can you can keep your job and be a healthy person, but then also do your job well. Um, so yeah, that's a good point. There's a lot of control and holding. Um, and I think, you know, there has to, I think the, the real key is you have to figure out a way to let those things out actively. And for me, it hasn't been until recently that I've figured that out. I mean, I've been going a lot of years without figuring it out until just this year. Um, and then I, I realized that I could breathe them out, you know, and maybe I'm breathing out my, um, my control as well, you know, mm. I, love I stay curious about it though. Sorry. I stay curious about it though constantly. And I think that helps as well. Um, I think staying curious prevents you from getting too deeply immersed in your guilt or shame or, anything else you know yeah it's a bit more of a detachment and lightness mm-hmm right yeah yeah speaking of lightness um, is there anything about being an empath that you really like yes I I mean I probably wouldn't want to have it any other way um, I feel like I'm able to uh, experience the beauties of life even the very very simple ones i do not require more than just petting a cat to be completely content mm. and um happy and and just you know safe so it's uh it's wonderful to be able to find that um peace and happiness in such small things because those are the things that are the easiest to acquire <laughs> and you know our society um is built on people uh striving to acquire large uh glittery things in order to be happy but um being an empath enables you to not have to strive for that in my mind um i 
do not need much. I'm very, I lead a very simple life. I do not have a lot of needs. And that is a wonderful way to live because you really appreciate everything. And that gratitude is so wonderful. I feel such gratitude as an empath. I'm so grateful for the animals and the trees and every moment, every bird that comes to the bird feeder, I'm just like super grateful for and just love. Like I feel a great love for it. So feeling that love as an empath, I would never give that up. Even with all the pain that comes along with it, I would rather experience that than, than ever give up the feeling of love that I have for the, for the animals and the trees and the world and the people, everything. Mm. Feel like deep love for everyone, you know? Mm. Mm. So calming to hear you speak about that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it kind of just Good. sort of grounds and relaxes me. Good. Uh, the the gratitude part, um, mm-hmm. this is sort of comes up all the time in a lot of... I guess more spiritually circles, it doesn't really matter. Just, you know, even in normal life. Um, mm-hmm. And I guess I'm wondering for you with the gratitude that comes up, whether it's an active process that you have for, say, the birds coming to the feeder or if it's something that bubbles up or maybe the gray area like you were talking about. Um, it, it's a bubbles up thing. Uh, so it's, a, it's an intuitive reaction. Um, Though I, so it's an intuitive reaction at this point. I haven't like actively like said, I'm going to think of three things to be grateful for each day and write them down, which some people do. And I think that works for some people. Mm -hmm. For me, it was just for me to become grateful. What it was a matter of was waking up. Um, And by waking up, what I mean is by actually like for the first time in my life, like deciding I'm going to live the life that I feel I want to live. And that was that was a matter of, you know, uh, making a decision to leave the, um, the 15 year marriage I was in. And so I think that waking up, um, uh, enabled me to just suddenly be grateful for my surroundings. Cause I just feel like, and I, you know, that waking up thing, that's a huge definition in itself. And so that's a whole, that could be a whole other interview. Like, what is it like to wake up? And I think empaths are particularly prone to that experience. Um, but do you know what I mean by waking up? I, I think we should get into it. Yeah. <laughs> Tell me okay. what your, uh, yeah, your take on waking up is. Well, I don't really understand it still. Um, I don't understand why it happens, um, necessarily. I'm sure I could, you know, devise a lot of theories and, and, ideas about what, how it happens based on its experience, but I don't know. For me, um, what waking up meant was me just suddenly feeling like I had to get out of the space I was in and move to a different space. Um, and the feeling was so strong, it, it made me um, cry like a lot. But I couldn't attribute the feeling to any one thing except for it was located in my gut. And um, there was a lot of uh, deep sadness and loss associated with it. It was a very strong, powerful um, feeling that I described in some writings I did as like a, like a bolt of lightning tearing through my torso. So it, it was like 
a bolt of lightning that tore through my torso and ripped me apart completely. But it was also the most amazing feeling in the world in that it enabled, as soon as I started feeling torn apart like that, I could see things clearly as well. And I saw that I was, um, I was living in a situation which was not healthy for me. And so I decided to, you know, take the steps that I needed to take to leave that. And that's what prompted me. But I, I still don't understand the origin of it or why it happened. I, you know, I spoke to a therapist for a long time about it. And she said that happens with people, you know, they wake up. Um, but yeah, it's an amazing thing. Uh, that's when the gratitude came. Um, I wasn't ungrateful before, but I believe that I am much more grateful now than I used to be um, as far as being aware of where I'm at in the world and my surroundings and what life, what life means to me, you know, mm. very physical again. Um, lots of uh, feelings in the, in the belly lungs. And uh, I clenched my jaw a lot during that time. Mm. Um, so yeah, a lot of physical symptoms of tension and release and, and, uh, you know, still able to participate in working and doing things in the world, but just like going through that um, ebb and flow of this, like, a, you know, waking up feeling. And I think it lasted probably uh, about a month, but it propelled me to um, a much better existence. Certainly sounds like it. It almost sounds like a external force came in. It does, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I know. I, I've thought that as well. Like there was an outside force and it almost felt like that, but I couldn't discern what that force was. Um, so yeah, that's an interesting part, but yeah, it didn't feel, it didn't even feel like it came from within, but it, it also did. So yeah. At one point I dreamt, um, I dreamt, uh, I had a great dream and I'll just explain this because I'm thinking of it. Um, so, and I'll give you a little background. So my mother, wonderful woman, um, she died at age 60 from alcoholism, but, and that was 14 years ago, but in her life, she was, she was an empath, I believe too. And she, uh, self-medicated herself she was very sensitive um, but she self-medicated herself and that's the path that she took um, but to the point of you know affecting her detrimentally um, so she died 14 years ago but when I was going through this um, waking up situation I had a dream while I took a nap and and uh, I often have the most lucid dreams during naps I had a dream that she reached her hand down my mother did she reached her hand down from above and kind of grabbed me and like wrestled me and said, Hey, wake up. It's time to wake up. It's time to go. Like, and so it was, it was a very uh, lucid dream and that I actually felt like she had grabbed me. Mm. Um, and I, I felt like, you know, she was actually uh, there saying, Hey, you know what? This is really good that you're doing this. This is what you need to do. I'm being your mother right now, which she never really was. You know, she wasn't a mother, but she was being a mother. And she was saying, you know what? Wake up, get going. This is good. Keep going. So she gave me her support. And I really felt like uh, 
I really felt like she was supporting me through the whole thing. <laughs> so I, I, you know, as when she was alive, she, I didn't really get any motherly advice from her. I gave her more uh, advice in my life than she gave me, but she actually helped me through that. And it was very interesting, very interesting and lovely. So that's an outside force feeling. It felt like one. Yeah. Maybe more like an outside force, whatever that means that touched something within you that started this whole change for a month. Right. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And it certainly sounds like you're at least emotionally and mentally and energetically come to a better place than you were in. Oh yeah, much better. Uh, I, I'm constantly surprised by how much better it is. It's like, mm. how did I not realize that this betterness existed for this whole time? Mm. Like I, you know, like how come I was in a, you know, I felt like I was in a cloud. Um, and, uh, you know, I, it's not like everything happened at once. I did a lot of work on myself over the years while I was in that cloud, but, um, and I must've built up a great foundation for like being able to handle this kind of thing. But yeah, it just, um, changed everything. What intrigues me most personally, I guess, is this gratitude, how it's, it sort of sounds like it naturally just bubbles up now. You're not actively trying to make a list in the morning of things you're grateful for. You just are yes. feeling that. Yes. Which I, was different from yeah. before, right? Yeah. Well, yes. Um, it existed before, in, you know, in intermittently, um, but it wasn't a, a state of being. And now I feel like it's a state of being um, hmm. that I'm just, I feel more uh, acutely grateful <laughs> than I used to, I guess. Um, I see, th it's a perception. I mean, it. I see things differently, um, even inanimate objects. Like I, I appreciate them for what they are. I don't see them as the enemy. And I think that it's not like I saw everything as the enemy before, but what I think is that a lot of people grow up uh, and they are the victim of something and mm. they hang on to that uh, identity of being a victim for mm. a really long time. And I think that I did that. Um, I hung on to the identity of being a victim of my circumstances. Um, and when I decided to make the change to not be a victim of the circumstances anymore, it was a great relief. And I think that was part of it. Um, and I think in order to be grateful, um, you really have to work on making sure that you're not also stuck on being a victim of your circumstances. Uh, I don't think those two go together very well at all. You can't be a victim and be grateful at the same time. So, um, I mean, I'm sure in the spectrum of things you could because everything's gray, but I do think that those two really repel each other. Hmm. It's powerful. It's a powerful little story of following 
and a gut feeling to make changes created a natural state of gratitude for yourself Mm -hmm. like a by it's sort of like a byproduct of making those changes in yourself yeah that's a great way to say it it is a byproduct it wasn't something i planned or uh you know intentionally worked on it was a byproduct what a great byproduct you know yeah geez it's not like diesel smoke or something it's like gratitude thank goodness for that byproduct (laughs) it's not toxic (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's true byproduct usually has a bit of a negative connotation byproduct has a negative connotation it's usually like a waste but in in this case it's definitely not a waste at all it's like a, a gift you know um, and that's that's how I see it, is every single thing right now is a gift. Um, and that's, you know, if you want to you think conc- more concretely about gratitude and how to think about it, that's one way that I do, is that I, I'm constantly looking around and feeling like every single thing in my life is a gift. Mm. Um, and it's been given to me just as a gift without any strings attached. It was given um, with a with love you know and you know every single thing the blanket my shoes my cats you know everything um just my shelter over my head my job it's all a gift so uh that that helps with the gratitude you know realizing or thinking or perceiving that everything is a gift it mostly sounds relatively effortless the way you experience, way the way you're thinking of things as gifts and mm. the gratitude. Yeah, effortless. Did you say? Yeah. Yeah, I, I think that's a good uh, description. Um, I think uh, for a lot of years it was not effortless, um, but now after this waking up and and taking my own, um, you know, deciding to actually do something for myself instead of for someone else, mm. um, is the first time you know, uh, like fully decide that I want, that I want something in life and that I'm, I'm, I deserve it, which is still a weird thing for me to say, because I still feel odd about feeling like I deserve things. Um, it doesn't feel right. It feels, you know, like, well, how do I deserve things? How did I earn it? How did I earn this? You know, like, I, I don't understand that. I don't feel worthy, you know? So there's a lot of self-worth stuff that goes on kind of in the background all the time. Um, but yeah, I feel, you know, I feel like I made the decision to learn how to feel worthy of this world, you know? Uh, and, you know, it really did take waking up and getting out of a, a situation that I was in. I don't know how it happened. I don't know how it happens for anyone. I think it's just, it happens as it happens. Um, but I think it really does have to do with being honest. And I think being honest with yourself is probably one of the hardest things uh, to do um, that I've ever encountered. Being honest with myself was a huge part of waking up. Um, and being honest with myself was not necessarily uh, easy because it was not pretty. I had to be honest about my ugliness as well and um, the parts of me that were, you know, 
complicit in my own dysfunction. And so I had to be honest about that and take, you know, take accountability for those things. And I think that <clears throat> to get to the point where you see everything as gifts, you really have to go through that part and be honest and take accountability and feel, you know, awful. Um, <laughs> and <laughs> yeah, part of waking up wasn't all like roses. It was like feeling awful, like terrible, mm. like, you know, like you wanted to sink into the ground kind of mm -hmm, bad. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that was, yeah. Wow. Bravo. Yeah. <laughs> I know how much massive amount of inner strength and courage that takes. It does. Move through the mess and the yuck. Yes. That you're... And, and I feel like for me, that's quite a big takeaway from what you shared. And it's not to like focus on trying to necessarily generate gratitude from writing lists necessarily. But it sounds, at least from your story, it's been more like facing your inner yuck. It's the best word yeah. I have right now for it. And, inner yuck, like and sludge. It, yeah. Stagnant sludge. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then working through that, you've, you're, uh, the, the natural result is this gratitude and sense of life and the many things in it being a gift yeah 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 actually i relate a little bit in terms of like getting sick uh, i don't I hardly ever get sick but when i when i do and i and i get well again just like mm -hmm. oh so grateful <laughs> that i can like yeah. do stuff that's completely otherwise normal yeah isn't it amazing i mean when people get sick or injured they really um get a perspective on what they'd taken for granted before. Mm. So yes, um, that's a huge deal. Um, and I think it's, it's important that we see that in ourselves. Um, mm. I see that in patients all the time, you know, people who lose their independence, you know, mm. which is for, for a younger person who's independent, we don't even think about it, but it's a, it's a huge deal for people. And that's why, you know, you find older people often who will stay what we call stubbornly independent for way too long, you know, when it's gotten to the point where it's not safe for them anymore mm. to be alone or take care of their own medications or, you know, walk up and down the stairs. Um, but that's why, because losing your independence is really hard. And, you know, any of us would be the same about it, I bet. So um, it's, it's really difficult for people to lose the ability to dress themselves and feed themselves and, and do all of that. Yeah. So when you're sick and it's like, yeah, you feel like you can't, you know, do the things that you normally do. Boy, does it take an impact on you? Um, imagine being that way for the rest of your life. Wow. You know, it's a good perspective to have, though. And I, I really gain that from my patients at the hospital. I always try to make sure I see that because every day I see people who do have that as a reality, you know. That helps me take, uh, not take things like that for granted. Um, but yeah, the physical empaths are, I think, prone to physical ailments a lot of the time. Um, only because they hold a lot 
and it could stagnate. And I think stagnation is, you know, philosophically stagnation is the um, root of all disease in my mind, um, from my experience. So if you look at any sort of system in the body, any part of it that's stagnant is the part that's most likely to become diseased or cancerous. Um, so that's why cardiovascular exercise and exercise and mobility and walking and, and all of those things are so important. That's how people stay independent for as long as possible. Mm. Um, but stagnation in general, that's a great subject. Um, so yeah, watch out for it. You said you don't get sick very often. That's excellent. That must mean that you somehow are moving your stagnation through you um, without it building up for too long. But yeah, I've experienced that stagnation before. <laughs> and I laugh only because it was painful you know mm. well it's certainly inspiring I um, have quite a big work day today but I, I feel absolutely inspired at some point to get up and at least go for a long walk good um, at some Wonderful. point yes get, get at least uh, stagnation around a lot. Yeah. yeah it's it's amazing how um, I, I've just seen it over and over again how how moving is just one of the most therapeutic things you can do. Um, mm. It's, you know, sitting or sedentary work is very damaging. It's mm. a very damaging thing. It's much more damaging than physical work. Mm, um, really? Yeah. Sedentary work is much more damaging in like the chronic lifestyle disease kind of way, like heart, heart disease and diabetes and all wow. those things. Yeah. Physical work, maybe, you know, if you work on it with, with a jackhammer for your whole life, you might have some neurological issues. Um, but, you know, I'm just saying in general, sedentary work, you know, you got to make sure you move. It's so important. Hmm. I guess a, that's a soapbox that I, I have as a nurse. Yeah. And you are a nurse. You've seemed yes. extremely well poised to give that <laughs> advice. <laughs> if you can move, move, you know, and if you can't move, find a way to move. A lot of people do swimming mm -hmm. if they have difficulty doing other kinds of movement. Mm -hmm. um, that's a great one. You know, so. Okay. I think I'm tapped out. Okay. Tap out. Well, yeah. I think I. For. Yeah this meandering chat into all these avenues it's thank you it was great. really awesome it's so fun to talk about myself <laughs> <laughs> you know it's interesting though a lot of people like i don't talk about myself that much i'm always asking other people to talk about themselves because i'm trying to draw out their story mm. and that's a that's a habit that's an empath you know habit mm. i think yeah, hence, you're a therapist, correct? So you've mm -hmm. taken on a vocation of doing that mm -hmm. also. Um, so it's actually quite a relief and energizing to talk about myself. So thank you. You're so <laughs> welcome. It's been a pleasure. Um, and uh, thanks for the food for thoughts bits. You bet. I'll be thinking about it. Okay. Okay. Thanks, thank you, Andrew. Bye. Bye-bye.